0: Welcome back Brown Girls, Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, and this is the final episode of season two. While we recorded this episode a few weeks ago, it is airing on the day of the Iowa Presidential Caucus, which officially starts the 2020 election season. I wanted to make the last episode of this season about highlighting women of color who are leading on some of the top issues that will dominate the political season, such as healthcare, civil rights and voting rights, and the environment. I was pleased to be joined by Emily Creeran, National Campaigns Director for the League of Conservation Voters, Tiffany D. Lofton, Director of the NAACP Youth Division, and a contributor to the Brown World's Guide to Politics blog, and Anisha Singh, Director of Judiciary and Democracy Affairs at Planned Parenthood Action Fund. We had a live discussion on what we can expect as women of color in 2020 that was hosted at George Washington University and sponsored by ActBlue. I hope you enjoy this episode. So I always like to start with having everyone introduce themselves, but of course, I also have to ask everyone a question along with that. So can you tell everyone your name, where you work, what you do, and what has been one of your favorite moments from this election cycle so far? I know there's so many (laughs) to choose from because even though it's only January, this thing has been long, but what's one of the things that has been in the forefront of your mind?
1: Hi everyone, thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Anisha Singh, I'm the Director of Judiciary and Democracy Affairs at Planned Parenthood Action Fund. My main role is to make sure that we are linking and connecting the dots on why reproductive health care is so important and why the courts and democracy reform are so crucial for protecting our rights. Uh, when it comes to reproductive health care. One of the things, I mean, there's so many things that have been, um, I feel like monumental in this uh, cycle, but one of them is the fact that there are and have been so many women who were running for presidency and what that really means for communities of color, what that means for communities across the board, what that means for young people who are looking and seeing people represented on the screen when watching these debates, when watching the campaign trail and and seeing that reflection, and then what that has meant for the conversation as well, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen all the Democratic candidates come out in favor and support of reproductive rights and in repealing the Hyde Amendment, all of which um, I truly believe we can pay tribute to the fact that there are so many diverse voices that are pushing each other to be bolder and vocally bolder in their policies.
2: Hey, Tiffany, Dina Lofton. Um, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. I live here in the DMV area. I'm the National Director for the Youth and College Division at the National Association for the Advancement of Color People, which I will for now refer to as the NAACP. And um, I have two. So one of them happened last night when Elizabeth Warren said, or she made the uh, awareness known, that all the women have not lost an election, but all the men collectively (laughs) have lost over two elections. I thought that was pretty... She's, Badass. That was
0: like iconic. She's had a lot of iconic moments so in my opinion. Yeah.
2: I love the very visible presence and, and leadership of black women in the campaigns. Mm-hmm. I love the chief of staff from Julian Castro's mm-hmm. camp. I love watching black women for Warren. I love watching black women for Bernie. This, this notion, right? That like there needs to be a special emphasis that is very public and unapologetically public for black women. So that's my two favorite moments in this campaign so far. Yes. I do not like how many debates we're having, but that yeah. would be <laughs> awesome.
1: And how late they are.
2: And how late,
3: yes. <laughs> they, they are late. Oops. Emily. I'm Emily Creeran. I am the one of the national campaigns directors at the League of Conservation Voters, LCV. We elect environmental champions um, at all levels of government and then hold them accountable. Uh, in 2018, we were uh, one of the top outside spenders in electoral politics, spending over $80 million to help get environmental champions um, elected up and down the ballot. Um, I actually have two um, favorite moments. I would say the first, is the fact that there is an Asian American presidential candidate that's on the stage. Yes, he's a man, but it's Asian American. That's yeah. huge for, Representation. for us, for the AAPI community. I would say um, yeah, the second one is uh, similar in terms of the diversity of, of staff on these campaigns mm-hmm. and the hype, how hyped and highlighted um, they are. Um, it's very tough. To be a minority as a political and mm-hmm. to have that standard and to have that bar and to feel like um, minorities have an opportunity to work in this business um, is huge. Um, and it's really changing the face of how campaigns are being put together and who's pulling the levers.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, our next question talking about women of color voters we know that we will be crucial to this election cycle you can't win without us that's just how it is and we are one at every four voters in florida texas arizona and georgia how have you already seen women of color shape this election cycle particularly in the work that you do
1: i think there's this is like such a crucial moment and we've really seen this wave of engagement and energy and progress being made when you look at the reproductive justice movement. Um, and special shout out to groups like All Above All and others that have really paved the way for reproductive healthcare and reproductive freedom, reproductive justice issues and legislative policies. I mean, they are um, responsible for the fact that we're seeing all of these Democratic candidates saying that they're, they wanna repeal the Hyde Amendment. The, the push of the conversation and the narrative in that direction has been particularly um, helpful because of the leadership coming from reproductive justice organizations. And I would say, and just
3: to piggyback on that, much like Planned Parenthood, you know, we have state affiliates as well, and we were huge in the Virginia sweep in November. And you know, our Virginia affiliate endorsed 62 candidates that were pro-climate. 30 of them were women, more than a dozen were women of color. So you have folks like Delegate um, Hashmi, who, and also folks like Regina Romero down in Tucson, who won their races, Mm -hmm. um, who ran on climate, who ran on on, on environmental issues, who won, and to really advance, um, you know, issues like climate change in everyday, you know, uh, I guess highlight it at a level that necessarily may not be through the lens of of a minority female, and especially in communities where they are. less, not less equal, but where they're disadvantaged and they don't have someone that, that can speak up and, and help them fight every
2: day? There's, there's been a wave, well, I'm thinking about what both of you all said. There's been a wave of, um, I work with young people. Anybody 25 and younger, that's my audience. I work with young black people across the nation. We have um, over 339 chapters across the country. I gained 32 chapters last year alone. We work with 23,000 young black people across the country. And when we saw Stacey Abrams running last year and we went to polling places at Spelman and at Morehouse in Atlanta, in Georgia, um, we, we got there, our students got there and stood in line and realized that there were no outlets or there were no plugs or there were no um, wires for the voting machines. And it was young black women at those schools at Spelman who said to the NAACP, we need to file a lawsuit because mm-hmm. this is not how democracy mm-hmm. should be working. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I...
0: I think that's a great segue. It wasn't one of the pre-planned questions, but I love when <laughs> Pop quiz. no, no, I love when the conversation goes in this direction yeah. because we do talk very high level all the time about how these women, these people of color, are driving the conversations. But each of you, you work with organizations where there are women of color like who are doing the right. work every day on the ground right. that the unsung heroes. So. I know Tiffany you just mentioned Amari but who are some of the women that you think we should know that you work with who are making it possible because we are talking about 2020 but even in conversations I have at work and every day I'm like we cannot neglect the state and local because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day that's where the laws are passed the policies happen that impact our daily lives and it is like young people, women of color who are driving that. So who are some of the great women at the League of Conservation Voters at Planned Parenthood who are making this happen?
3: LCV has taken a huge step forward in ensuring that progressive organizations look and reflect what America looks like. Mm -hmm. And I would say that it is because of the young women of color who are in some of those more junior level positions um, that do get overlooked. They are actually spearheading the organization and the unionization effort Mm -hmm. of LCV to ensure that there is, you know, uh, paid family, that there is some transparency into the decision making, um, which is, you know, typically, you know, is is white hierarchy, but that that they have a voice at the table. Um, I think that's huge. I think it's also the our, we have a CHSPA program, which is our um, uh, Latino program um, that is on the ground in, in several states, um, which is huge, that are the unsung heroes for our climate program. And I also think that in addition to just the pay stuff with LCB, it's also sort of opens up the larger can of worms, which is the vendor policy
1: yeah i'll i'll pick piggy, i'll piggyback off of that because it's very similar you know at, at planned parenthood action fund you look at a lot of the the junior staff individuals who are working on cross-movement work and i feel like they are doing the best work because it's really important when you're an issue-based organization that you are being really thoughtful about how your issue intersects with other organizations with That's other right. issues when we're yeah. talking about reproductive health care we're also talking about economic justice we're also talking about racial justice we're talking about immigration, we're talking about right, democracy reform, etc. And it's the individuals I feel like who are at Planned Parenthood, who are majority um, women of color, who are leading that work at our organization. And and you see that reflected in the way that our talking points and the way that our report, that's because of them, right? Doing the work, doing that cross-coalition networking and conversations, those tough conversations with Partners um, and folks on the ground, and then I, and then of course our health centers and our patients and our doctors and our 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 health center leaders who are also leading the charge and making sure that every day the day-to-day fights that are happening in states in the localities and in their legislators are are remembered and are fought and that they are constantly keeping up that um, that drumbeat while in coalition and being good partners with the groups on the ground as well across the cross movement issues i mentioned and so that to me is just phenomenal work. Um, prior, to, pl- prior to working at Planned Parenthood, I worked at the Center for American Progress and was doing Y Courts Matter work across the, the country. And I, and I do wanna think about, I'm thinking about this one woman, Kadita Kenner, who she's the first person to really get arrested here on the Capitol fighting over a lower court nominee and that's just something you don't see in the progressive movement. You don't see us galvanize around the judiciary the way conservatives do. And I can talk about that for like 10 hours. Okay. But this this woman brought nine people with her and their goal was to come up from Pennsylvania and make sure that they did a sit-in. And, and if it meant getting arrested, it meant getting arrested because this nominee was so bad. These are lifetime appointments. And she did the work. Um, and she led that charge. And it inspired the entire court's coalition movement to the point where years later we're here and now I'm at Planned Parenthood and I'm still hearing about that story and Mm -hmm. so and that's kind of galvanizing and energizing us and it helped pave the way that we did a lot of the work that we did in in the Kavanaugh fight too so um, all that to say they're just really great folks on the ground every day who do this because they're passionate they care about the work they're not doing it for the money they're Mm -hmm. not doing it for the fame but they're doing it because they recognize what's at stake in our democracy
2: Okay, I'm going to say some names real quick because I want them to hear themselves on, on a podcast. Okay. <laughs> they don't get to hear their names on a podcast. <laughs> so I already mentioned Fennoy, uh, Amari Fenoy. I want to say DeAngelique Jackson. She is a young black woman um, who is at University of California, Fresno. And she, or, ca- excuse me, California State, Fresno. She is um, one of the co-authors and leaders behind a state legislative bill that passed Making sure that the state of California invested resources in each one of the state public state schools in California for this year's election to make sure that there was an actual box on the campus where students could go and drop off off their ballots. And each school has to have a civic engagement youth and adult coordinator. And now we're using it as a model to replicate in other states. Mm -hmm. So DeAngelique Jackson, Taylor Turnage is a young woman who's in Mississippi. She was actually NAACP, newly elected NAACP state conference president for our youth. She's turning out folks at um, Tougaloo College. Then there's Brisa Johnson, who's not an naacp -er, because I have love for people who are not NAACP. She is the (laughs) California Statewide Civic Engagement Director for um, United Domestic Workers. The girl is bad. (laughs) And she's in San Diego, and she's organizing statewide. Uh, She was one of our trainers. I invited her to our convention to train our youth on civic engagement campus organizing. She's bad. I can't forget Ensay Ufat who is the Nse. um Ensay yes. Ensay is amazing she's in Georgia she's the, I think she's the ED executive director of the new Georgia, Georgia project, project. Um, when people were getting their stuff purged because their names were wrong and because the hyphen or the exclamation point wasn't where it was supposed to be, that was the sister who was looking at making sure like, that they held accountable, um, what's his name, who ran for governor and won uh, against C.C. Camp Adams. State Governor they, Camp. Yeah, the Secretary of State. And she was the only one holding him accountable and putting his feet to the fire. And I was like, yo, she's bad, and she's a young mm-hmm. black woman who often gets ignored. And the last one, last but not least, is you. <laughs> and the work that you do, Shanti, because I feel like um You have this platform, and you train these folks across the country. This is not the first time you and I worked together, mm-hmm. but I don't think that your um, name is always the one that's thrown in the hat to get recognized. So I want to make sure that that when we talk about the unsung heroes, which like that's kind of like a shadowy name, you are one of those people as well. And I also saw your tweet to Cardi B when she said she thinks she want to run for office, <laughs> and you're like, I will train you and support you. That's an important element of our civic engagement work. Yeah. It's not just the ballot. It's not, I mean, it's not, it's not just the polling place. It's not just uh, the trainings; it's also who are training other dope people of women of color to run for office. Mm-hmm. And in my book, you really don't know who does that. So, <laughs> you.
0: thank you. But I don't know if everyone saw it, but Cardi B treated that she wanted to be a politician. And it's like, it showed up in my feed. I'm literally, was I was the like, first one. Was like I'll train you. I was like, if you want training to run for office, let me know. I got you. But then the next day she did another tweet and it was what I see all the time with women when they want to run for office or into politics. If I just go back to school and get more education, mm-hmm. then I feel that I can really shake the table. And I was like, even you, Cardi B, like, even Mm. you have that imposter syndrome, because just women, when it comes to running for office politics, we always feel that everything has to be perfect.
2: We're not qualified enough yet. Right. And
0: it's like, I had to retweet Cardi B and be like, I see this all the time, women thinking that they need a ton of higher education in order to make a difference. Mm. But the fact is, and I think just heard it with all the young women that you talked about. If you have the drive, if you have the ideas, if you have the determination, you're already ready to shake the table. Small dollar donors are transformative. I've seen it firsthand working on campaigns, big and small, across the country. At Blue is a nonprofit organization dedicated specifically to empowering small dollar donors. As one at Blue donor named April acutely shared, my motivation in giving was to be a small force for good in this country. Many times we feel like our voices aren't heard. Unfortunately, money is heard more than our voices these days. I believe that even small donations will help us reach the goal of getting a president in office that cares about respect and equal rights for all people, no matter what. April knows the power of ActBlue's fundraising platform, which makes it easy for grassroots supporters to make their voices heard and helps thousands of democratic campaigns, progressive organizations, and nonprofits build people-powered movements. This election cycle, small-dollar donors are on track to give $3 billion via ActBlue with an average contribution size of about $30. Visit secure.actblue.com backslash about to make your voice heard. So earlier, before we started the panel, we were talking about polls. I have a lot of things to say about polls, but women of color voters in particular delivered us the most diverse Congress that we have in history. Mm -hmm. We have the first two indigenous women in Congress, the first two Latinas from Texas, and we have the squad. And when we think about it, poll showed the majority of those women not even coming out of their primary, let alone winning the election. Mm -hmm. And we have definitely seen them shape the conversation. We have all of these new voices. So for you, in your opinion, what is this telling us about how women of color elected officials, women of color in this space, even though we may not be mainstream, we're still able to drive the national conversation. Like thinking about Stacey Abrams, I tell people like, I love Stacey, I'm a Stacey fan. The fact is for me, when she did not win her election, I call him fake Governor Kemp because in my mind, Stacey is a real governor. Most people would have just been like, okay, I'm done. But she did not. I think mm-hmm. she is the epitome of servant leadership and that she said, this is what I'm going to do to not only make Georgia better, but make the country better so that this doesn't happen to other people. So really what are we seeing now in 2020 with how women who aren't even in elected office are shaping this conversation? Like how do you see that in the work that you're doing?
1: So one of my favorite quotes, and I take this everywhere with me, and I'm sure many of you have heard it, is if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's this realization that's happening, and that happened in 2018 too, where there were women who looked at what happened in 2016 election and said, we got to take things in our own hands, Mm -hmm. right? We got to run for office ourselves, and we have to be at the table so that our communities are not on the menu. And so... Um, that's what we saw with the the wave of young women, women of color that came in to our House of Representatives, but also across the board and state legislators, we saw that kind of a movement as well. And we're seeing that now too. We're seeing that um, it's not just the elected officials and those running for office, but those that are getting involved in marches and knocking on doors and with campaigns. It's a whole new face. It's a lot of young people. Young people are more engaged now than ever before. Um, and they want to see individuals on the stage and on, the, on, on their ballot that reflect them. And mm-hmm. so you're seeing this cycle. Um, and that's really hopeful to me, right? Because you're seeing that, that realization that if we don't do the work ourselves, uh, we can't expect that others are going to do it for us. And the people that are doing the work right now are not doing it in our self-interest.
3: Mm-hmm. Totally. And I would also add that Women of color are able to bring their them full selves mm-hmm. to the table, and they're showing that they can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can be an elected official and you can breastfeed right. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So when you have elected officials like Senator Tammy Duckworth mm-hmm. bring her child to the to the office and have a changing room in her office, it shows. It sets that narrative that like, yeah, I can do this. And you know, I think they're also highlighting you know women of color and uh, are highlighting some of the issues that would potentially get overlooked, right? Like separating moms and their babies at the border, which is huge. And I don't think that if we did not have women in the majorities that we do in in, in the US Congress, we wouldn't be talking about that. And um it's refreshing. It's unfortunate it's taking this long, but it's refreshing that we're finally getting caught up to speed and and we're talking, you know, it's more about the the kitchen table issues
2: than naming a post office after someone, you know. Uh-huh. Maybe that's <laughs> <the post office. laughs> There's a difference to me between leadership and elected mm. folks, mm. and that's what sticks out to me about Stacey Abrams, mm-hmm. it's what sticks out to me about some of the candidates we have now, even though I work for the NAACP and I'm non <laughs> um, that she ran, one, to show, um, what's the word, to show uh, commonalities, I guess is the word I can find, between her and the people that she was raised and grew up around, mm-hmm. right? That there's a lot of the people who are now, especially in the age of social media, people have to come off as relatable. Mm-hmm. People have to show that they're real human beings. This politic mm-hmm. world is, the walls are being broken down and we all are starting to find our own ways to be attached to democracy and elected leadership. And I think Stacy's whole entire campaign, and in kind of sort of way, Obama did this a little bit too, for me, because I'm black, they showed who they were, mm-hmm. um, as opposed. To AOC, well, she did this whole live last night on IG, where she did this Q and A for like two hours, and she was like, "I'm an elected official. Just ask me any questions you want to ask me." And she keeps doing that. And she keeps yeah. doing it. She's yeah. like, "Hey, y'all, watch me wash clothes. I'm gonna show you the life of a real elected official." And
0: I'm like, <laughs> I gotta do my own. I gotta laundry. do my own laundry. <laughs> 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 there
2: is a, there is a level of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Relat- Relatability, reality. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah that you want to have with your people. Stacey was able to do that. And so leadership to me is not I'm the person y'all should elect because I know all the things that y'all need and I'm going to do this on your behalf and I just need you to help me get into office. Mm-hmm. That's that's politics about power, who owns power. But leadership is when Stacey Abrams even gets cheated out of an, out of an election, mm-hmm. literally. And then one of my favorite speeches that I saw her do was after, what was that, the DNC, after... Uh, was it after the DNC? Was she, was like the speaker? After, t- Oh man, I think it was like a debate she did. And she was like, look, this is the, re- this is, she did the State of the Union version after one of the debates, and was like, here's the reality of, yes, I might have lost, mm-hmm. but there is a place for all of us here, and this is not about one person, this is about every single person in not only the party, but in this nation on both sides of the aisle. And we are trying to improve the country. And then she created her, or, her organization to now fight back against voter suppression in the state of Georgia. That's leadership. Mm-hmm. Cause she's like, I didn't run just to become governor. I ran because things are still wrong here in the state of Georgia for a lot, for majority of the people. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's me or not me, which it should have been me, mm-hmm. she is on unab- and we all are clear. Yes. It was, it on this
0: podcast, me. we are clear who the <laughs> real, <laughs> governor, <laughs> real governor
2: is. We're also very clear on who the, rest, who real, who the real president is right now, too. But. yes, So, so, um, <laughs> so there, is, there is a responsibility of leadership that women of color have, mm-hmm. to your question. And we're seeing more now of that being the reality of wh- where we want to, how we want to be governed, mm-hmm. right? And how politics should look. And how politics should be shaped and mm-hmm. how we should hold people accountable and have, and who we want to be our next leader.
0: And this election cycle, talking about the presidency, you mentioned we've seen a record number of women who are running. And even though a lot of them are not in the race at the moment, different conversation, I just love being on Twitter and just seeing all the photos of particularly young girls, like looking up at them. Yep. know when Kamala exited the race she did this great video and it just talked about you know when she ran she knew it wasn't just about her that there were like eyes of young girls on her so like, in your opinion, how have these women, if they're in the race, not out of the race, like shape the conversation going forward about what women can do? I mean, we know right now at the time of this recording, there's the argument of can a woman even win the presidency? When I say a, a woman did win mm-hmm. the presidency in 2016, so let, let's not. But like, what has it meant to you personally?
2: Let me, ask, let me say this, too. And I'm going to answer your question. For people who are listening to this, though, it's all women of color on this panel, mm-hmm. and we were having a conversation about how, many, how much it means to see women of color in politics and to be leaders, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about all the angry people who are like, it's not about color, it's not about race, it's not about women of color. This is not the and podcast for you. One. One. Brown girls. <laughs> one. Brown girls. One, Brown and, girls. and two, <laughs> the name of the podcast. <laughs> one. But two... I, I, I need folks to uh, understand that for all of America's history, this has been about white men. Yes. And so when we say we enjoy, and we feel the love, and it's all feel good, mushy stuff, a little black girl looking up to a black woman who's running for office, and we see pictures of, you know, little girls looking up to people who look like them. Mm-hmm. It's not, it is not just because Any other reason except, it has never looked like this, Mm -hmm. and that is not America, period. America is not a bunch of white men ruling a bunch of white men. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't care what the census says at this point, I don't care what (laughs) polls say, I think women of color, the majority of people in this country, you can't tell me any different. And so when we don't see ourselves in representation, it's not that it doesn't, it's not that it matters because we are requiring diversity, it matters because America needs to rep- the leadership in America needs to represent the people in this country, mm-hmm. right? And it, our representation is not white men. So that's why when that commentator asked the question at the last debate and they said, you know, it's a bunch of white men running, what y'all think? And Biden was like, well, I'm a white man. And, and Bernie was like, well, I don't wanna apologize for being a white man. I'm like, well, wait a minute, hold on. You need, if you do not acknowledge <laughs> that y'all have played the majority of leadership in this country, Mm-hmm. and that that is not the representation of the collective amount of people in this country, then you are, one, missing the mark and you shouldn't be the president. And two, you are not acknowledging that there, are, there is a, a, a necessity to have a, a government, both on all three branches, a government that represents, that represents the people. Mm-hmm. Not fights for, not tells the people what they need to do, but represents and looks like us. Mm-hmm. And that is so necessary, not just for quotas, but for the for the for the future of this country and the democracy and decision making points around the things that we experience. So to your point, I you know I feel so um, excited and honored and blessed that we get to live in a time where we're starting to see the reality of that culture shift. Mm-hmm. Where I know, like even my my uncles and my aunts are like nervous and scared still. Even after we got a black president, they're like, ah, well, I don't really think. We can get Mm -hmm. a black woman governor, I don't really think we can get that woman of color. I'm like, we've we've been able to break, tear down barriers, Mm -hmm. and we can continue to do that, Mm -hmm. right? And we will, obviously. Um, But I I need folks who are listening to this who need to get pulled in, because I believe in this work we gotta pull people in. Mm -hmm. We gotta pull folks in that listen, this is not just about diversity and quotas, it's about representation, and it's about um, the reality of what the makeup of America looks like, and us showing the rest of the world that our government reflects that.
1: So Planned Parenthood Action Fund has not endorsed anyone and Anisha Singh has not endorsed anyone either. But I will just say there was, for me personally, it was an emotional journey to watch Kamala Harris running um, for president as an Indian girl, right? Um, Because for example, towards the end of her her campaign, she did this video with Mindy Mindy Kaling making right. dosas, right? Yeah, and yeah. I was like, now all y'all know what a dosa is. And that's huge. Um. Now, we now, we, now we
2: all know she's Asian, we didn't know that Right, um, I know she's
1: a black woman.
2: It's like, no, she got diversity. Yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, right? So like that whole side of her her mother's story and that immigrant story and um, her talking about the day-to-day of cooking Indian food and mm-hmm. having she's the great. food in like the containers that me and everyone I know grew up having our food in. and um, just having whatsapp blowing up from india and like from family Mm -hmm. across the country just like oh my god did you see this video holy shit she knows how to make dosa like it's just (laughs) that whole like that you know it matters it made her real and it made her uh like a symbol of hope for the community which you know i'm i'm a sikh american i come from um, advocacy work around post-9/11 discrimination, and I can mm-hmm. say post-2016 discrimination looks a lot like post-9/11 discrimination mm-hmm. in the sense of how hiked up the statistics are on how many of um, people, people in my community and those that that look like me are falling victim to hate crimes, bullying, um, employment discrimination, uh, immigration issues, etc. And to just have all of that always surrounding us and making us feel like, do we belong? Mm-hmm. Um, are we, um, you know? Are we at risk of being, whether it's deported or discriminated against? And then to have someone on the screen who is um, half Indian, who's talking about that experience and saying, look, I am running for president and I'm representing you. And there, it just brings that hope and it brought, and again, it just brought family and it brought uh, community members that I haven't heard from in a long time coming out and just and just feeling that hope um, with me and with everyone else. And so that's just like a nugget of like how that representation actually ends up playing out in the day to day, right? When you're dealing with all of these different emotions and thoughts um, for yourself, for your fear, for your community. And then something like that happens. And it just brings you that little bit of hope you need to make it to the next
2: fight. For folks like me who, who, when I see, Kamala and Cory, like, right? Like, we have two black people. Oh, my God, did right. that come from? <laughs> I'm just like, this makes us feel more included in the, in the American picture. Right. Right? Where we didn't, mm-hmm. before right. we were like, oh, we live here and we're American, but we ain't ever get to be president. Like, to see so many folks that look like us and to hear stories like this, I'm like, no, we all... That's what I was talking about. The makeup of this country is us.
1: And like you were talking about, there's an AAPI candidate, right? Like just having that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're there. We're on that stage. 100%.
2: And And it checks other people let them know, yeah, we here
3: too. (laughs) I think that's a part of it. No, and I think, um, and just to piggyback off of that, like, you know, when Hillary was robbed of her presidency in 2016, it really made me, fear that women were just going to take a back seat and we're going to go back Mm. into our corners and we're going to not stand up. But it really has had the opposite effect. It's really motivated (laughs) women to keep fighting, to stand up, to run for office. And I'm encouraged by that. Like, I think we have a long way to go, but um, it really propelled us to to be more vocal. Um, Fortunately or unfortunately, like we should have been there years ago, but like Mm. we needed kind of a kick in the pants and, and now we're here and we're not going away. And for me where you know, women are just stereotypically just you know demur like not going to speak up like that's huge um mm-hmm. to see that narrative change and to see the momentum even after her loss in 16
0: yes i actually called it the hillary effect just mm-hmm. seeing so many women want to step up and run because The next day, everyone was kind of like, okay, if not Hillary, then who? And so many women said that it has to be me. I have to be the one to make these changes. I can't rely on other people. And something I heard from a lot of people is they were just shocked to see so many of their local elected officials Mm -hmm. at a Trump rally. Just not like at a Trump rally, but on stage, co-signing on his stuff. And that made a lot of people think, that's who rep- representing me? Oh, I, I have to get involved. I have to learn who these people are. And then they realized so many other elected officials were failing them and we have seen a lot of women of color step up to run for office. We talked about how women of color fuel the votes, but at the debate, as Tiffany mentioned, it was a very white debate.
1: It is so frustrating time and time again to see the pandering to communities of color and Ooh, other communities, Yes. and then the mm-hmm. day they win, they forget about mm-hmm. the promises that they made, yeah. the conversations that they've had. Mm-hmm. And so how are we making sure as the folks that are helping to advocate and be those voices for our communities, that we are pushing the campaigns now, mm-hmm. like Tiffany said, and then making sure that afterwards they're hiring the right staff and they're and they're holding mm-hmm. true to their promises, because that that cycle mm-hmm. is you know you can't keep taking us for granted. Yes, period. But. And
0: I particularly loved how Senator Booker brought up reproductive freedom so many times. Yes. He had articles, mm-hmm. and I feel that was important to really kind of jump start this dialogue with men to be like, you can talk about this too. It's this okay. isn't, you know, and I love that that was a big part of his platform to say like, dudes, get it together. You know, this isn't just about the ladies.
1: He said this recently. He said, you don't need to have the, the same reproductive organs. You just need to be a human, right?
0: So we talked about the fact that when we did have The candidates of color and the race they talked about issues that were very important to people of color one of those definitely being the field of justice so be it reproductive freedom environmental justice justice at the ballot box these are things that are going to be very important to us and even though we will have the presidential candidates talking about it we know that this is really going to play a bigger role at the local level so just for our listeners who are also voters, what are some of the things in your respective field regarding justice that they should be paying attention to now, not when they get their sample ballot and mm-hmm. they see something? What should be at the forefront when it comes to the justice issues that will be on the ballot in November?
3: I'll start. Um, I think that there's a misnomer that that voters out there Especially your listeners may not know that the communities of color and low income communities are the most impacted by climate change, mm-hmm. um, fueled by extreme weather, um, that are most likely to live near pollution just by default. Um, you know, these communities where these folks live, they are literally the dumping grounds for toxic pollution and more threatened by extreme weather, flooding, heat, and fires. And quite frankly, the League of Conservation Voters is just catching up with these environmental justice groups um, that are organized, that have been in these communities organizing forever. So, you know, something that to keep an eye out is is to see what presidential candidates are actually visiting these communities of color where they are impacted every day by, you know, environmental, you know, change. Um, it's huge.
0: We saw that a lot with Castro. Yep. He did that a lot.
1: So one of the reasons I, I came to, to Planned Parenthood Action Fund um, is to make sure that every day people are recognizing the link between what is happening to our reproductive healthcare and what is happening to our democracy and what is happening to our courts. Mm -hmm. Because when you can understand how all of these different pieces come together, you can understand what is wrong with our system and how we need to, what we were saying, unrig that system. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one thing that, you know, one thing I noticed in 2016 um, that kind of stuck with me and, and kind of drives me every single day to go to work is I remember seeing on the TV time and time again people being interviewed about who they're going to vote for and hearing close to the election, well, I'm not crazy about Trump, but I don't want to see us lose the courts, So I want a conservative court and so I'm going to vote for the Republican candidate. Mm. You did not hear that on the progressive side. You did not hear, I'm not crazy about her, but I'm still going to vote for her because I, there's this empty Supreme Court seat mm-hmm. and there, there are over 100 vacancies across our lower courts that are going to be filled with lifetime appointments. Mm-hmm. And I'm really scared of what that could mean. There is not that connection. There was not that connection. Mm-hmm. I think the, the post-election kind of Kavanaugh fight and the Gorsuch fight, a lot of that started showing the progressive movement and progressive voters a little bit of that that um, color and we're seeing it now. Um, But really just tying those knots are super Mm -hmm. important for voters to really realize what has happened. And just to recap, Trump has now appointed over 187 judges to lifetime seats, Mm -hmm. which is 20% of our judiciary and a fourth of our circuit court for a lifetime. They're mostly young people who will sit there for 40, 50 years, way past his time Mm -hmm. fulfilling his agenda the politicians, the elected officials nominating or um, helping the president appoint these conservative anti-abortion judges who then go ahead and, and um, rule in cases about things like gerrymandering, about things like abortion, etc., in favor of those same politicians. And then you have this cycle where that those laws are are in place, you have um, gerrymandering and others that make sure that those politicians win again, and you have this cycle. Um, all that to say, making sure that you're thinking about that 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 broad picture of democracy reform of saving our judiciary in order to save the issues that you care about. So whether it is the environment or civil rights or Reproductive health care, whatever the issue, it comes down to what's happening to our courts, what's happening to our democracy, what's happening to the systems in place, and how we can make sure that we have elected officials in place that shape it in a way we want to see it.
0: Mm -hmm. That is so important because what you said, like all of this is very strategic. First, we're going to get the state houses, and then we'll get, you know, the presidency, and then, like, we'll do the courts. This was just all very coordinated and planned.
2: Yes. Very intentional.
0: You know, and this is when people say, like, oh, politics, you know, But I'm like, there are people out there plotting, you know, to make this country shape their views.
1: Using the judiciary as a political tool, mm-hmm. as opposed to where we think it's like the lawyers, like rule of law, like mm-hmm. holy grail situation. No, like it's being used as a political tool by one side. Mm-hmm. How are we making sure we're protecting um, it the way we want to see it and how we want it to be shaped yeah. and restore that legitimacy to it? Yeah.
0: So speaking of getting the work done, Tiffany, you're just killing it at the NAACP with young people. I just, I love seeing everything that you're doing. And there's already the conversation, will young voters turn out? Do they care? What matters to them? What are you seeing with all of these phenomenally engaged young people that you work with every day?
2: Thank you for affirming those folks. Yeah, because it's always the question of, I mean, I knew you were going to do that, but um, <laughs> the, 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 uh, cause that's who you are. The, a lot of folks are asking, where are the young people at? They've been asking that for years. And I'm like, they ain't gone nowhere. Why are y'all asking where they at? Like you right. might not see them cause you don't have an Instagram page. You might not see them <laughs> because you don't ask them what it is mm-hmm. that they want to do because your meetings don't allow young people mm-hmm. to come to those conversations to be fully engaged and present with agency at that table. Ooh. But don't be mistaken, young mm-hmm. people are everywhere already. Um, and then they shut up you know, after they see all the stance of young people turned out in Texas, young people turned out in mm-hmm. this New Hampshire. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, young folks that I work with, uh, again, and a majority of our population for the NAACP is in the South, um, in my chapters. And so what I'm seeing, and this actually happened today, I was on a call with one of, my, uh, one of my student leaders, Ryan Peddleton, who is in Alabama. And he's like, yeah, we got a census event next Tuesday. We're registering people already because we're not waiting for voter registration day in September. We got two registration events that happen in this. And I'm like, yep, I know you are. I know you're already engaged. I know you're not waiting until the end of the year. I know we're planning in advance. I got students at um, tomorrow, actually. Uh, President Derek Johnson of the NAACP is the convocation mm-hmm. speaker at uh, FAMU, Florida Agriculture Mechanical University. Ooh. And so we're bringing uh, F- Florida State University students across the street. To come to yep, oh, cool. to, sure. <laughs> uh, to, bring, to bring uh once you start naming schools, everybody's like, ah, I was okay. so, to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you Yeah. And so um, and so Florida State students are coming to meet with President Johnson to figure to to talk about and get consultation on. Here's our statewide plan in Tallahassee, especially of all t- places in Florida, mm-hmm. in Tallahassee, to start knocking on doors early, to start mm-hmm. registering people early, to have these conversations early. Listen, my people care about student debt. They care about affordability, accessibility, safety, and retention for ed- in education—not just in college, but in high schools and middle schools too. My people care about um, jobs and wages. My people care about healthcare like everybody else. My folks care about democracy and protecting voting rights and increasing the Voting Rights Act. Uh, my folks care about criminal justice reform and ending mass incarceration, as you will, you know, ending the death penalty, as you will find out in Just Mercy in the movie. Um, my folks care about all of these things, and so. It, the young people that you're going to see um, rise to the occasion, you should just know two myth busters. One, they're not new to this work. Mm-hmm. They've been doing this work, um, who are under resourced, who are also full time students, who are also sometimes full time parents, who have four other jobs because they can't afford to do the work that they're already doing, um, who also have like, you know, eight other things that they have to care about and are also just living their life as a young person, as most of us do as we're growing up. Um, that's the first myth. And the second myth is that they don't care and they're not engaged Mm -hmm. or they're apathetic. And that's not the case. A lot of times um, I work with people who still don't have computers or internet. I work with people who have to go to a library, who have to go to their computer lab at their Mm -hmm. school just to get the work done, right? Mm -hmm. I work with people who um, live in rural communities who, you know, most of the students who go to Tougaloo or who go to uh, Jackson State or who go to these schools, their students are from out of state so they're doing absentee ballots so i got students with this um at howard university for example who are making sure now that we find a way to hold people accountable to make sure that they're receiving their ballots on time from out of state and are able to return them to get counted right like we're doing that work january 12th (laughs) Mm -hmm. not waiting until the fall when school starts to get people riled up when it's back to school time so um i think i look at organizations like the NAACP Youth and College Division. I look at organizations like the Alliance for Youth Action. I look at Black Youth Project. I look at United We Dream. I look at Dream Defenders who are already pushing out videos mm-hmm. about the census, about elections. We, we started early. And if you're not paying attention, it's because you're, you're deciding that you don't want to follow and be engaged with those communities who are doing that work. But I encourage you to um, ask us Planned Parenthood. I'm working with folks uh, who run the HBCU program there. We're already doing coalition work in some of our HBCUs. We have an HBCU tour in the fall. We're doing. Um, we're, we're already doing the work, and, and 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 it's not new because of a presidential election. It's not new because of Donald Trump. It's not new because women of color are running for office. We we're we're already you know we're, we've already been here. We've already been doing mm-hmm. this work. So the folks that you allowed us to give shout outs to earlier, I like that process. We have to uplift those. I hidden figures. I
0: love doing that. That's what the podcast is about. Got it's to. uplifting all of you, then uplifting the great women that you work with. Because there are people doing this work. I mean, you got to. It's not like Harry Potter where there's like you know like little magical people working behind the scenes <laughs> and things appear. Like this is work, right? And there's a done. lot of them.
2: It's not mm-hmm. just people that you see on social media who got mm-hmm. a billion followers.
0: Emily, mm-hmm. what are some of the amazing things that LCV has coming up, and how can our listeners who really care about climate change or global warming and environmental issues get involved? Yeah, no, totally. So we are currently running a program to just
3: elevate the um, the topic of climate change and the presidential debate. We are not like um, Planned Parenthood taking a position or endorsing any one candidate, um, we are excited to have every presidential candidate has a climate plan starting on day one. Um, Trump has rolled back close to a hundred different environmental regulations since he's been in office, which is taking us backwards on clean air, clean water, and putting all you know our health at risk. Um, so that's the first main thing. I think the second main thing is we're going to run probably one of the biggest, Independent expenditure programs. The cycle to so not only elect a pro climate president, but to flip uh, the U.S. Senate to pro climate, to protecting the the, the the House of Representatives, which is uh, pro climate right now. Um, uh, and you know, this cycle is probably the last cycle that we have to be able to stop the bleeding on climate change. Um, and so for for folks that wanna get involved, like we have community organizers, we have town halls, we have folks, we're always looking for folks to volunteer. So, you know, go to lcv.org or, or tweet at us at LCVoters LC um, to get involved, we're always looking for, for that ground,
0: you know, that field work. Awesome. Anisha, you have given us so much this episode, you dropped so much knowledge. But the fact is, as women, like we're under attack. I don't know any other way to say it than that. We are absolutely on the menu. So where are some of the things that Planned Parenthood is doing? And again, I have to just shout out how intersectional you all are in the work that you do. So what are some of the things that we need to watch out for and for our listeners who wanna get engaged in these efforts, what can they do?
1: And so now we're going bigger um, this year and we have a historic initial investment of $45 million in battleground states across the country because we recognize the urgency, right? It is so vital that we win um, this election cycle and we recognize that if we don't, there's just going to be so much more um, that is going to be dismantled and Roe is already at stake and this is already an emergency situation. And what what I was talking about before, we're not going to we're not going to be able to protect the courts and our democracy and all of the pieces that intersect with reproductive health care and reproductive freedom if we don't win, and we recognize that. And so that's why we are—we have this historic investment. Um, I think things that folks can do, um, no matter what community you're, you're coming from, um, just pay attention to what your litigators are doing across the board, local, state, federal. If you're not happy with the way that they have been. Performing in their job, it's time for them to lose their job, right? Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> call them out, let them know that, and be engaged on all levels. And again, if you're not happy with the way they're performing, get involved. Um, join Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Join partner organizations that are doing the great work to make sure that we are registering folks to to vote, that we are knocking on doors, and doing everything we can to turn this train around. Um, and the last thing I'll say is talk about the courts and talk about democracy reform. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, moving into <laughs> our final question. Any final thoughts on 2020 or advice for the brown girls out there listening who are like I want to be like her, I want to get involved in politics. This is definitely an exciting time to do it. So just anything you want to close with.
1: I'll say this. I and this is, you know, just my personal, you know, we've all had a really hard time dealing with the political environment of the last few years, and it's um, it's exhausting. Um, it can burn you out, and especially if you're not on the front lines and in the trenches, watching it can be even even worse, right? Because you feel like helpless, and you're trying to figure out what exactly you can do. And I think that goes back to everything we've talked about here, which is why we're seeing more and more women getting involved, recognizing that um, the best the best form of self care can sometimes be just getting involved, right? Um, and one thing that gives me hope and the one thing that centers me is the reminder that out of darkness always comes light mm-hmm. um and so yes this has been terrible three years and we're seeing a lot um we're unearthing a lot of ugly um in all of this but what it's also doing is it's galvanizing and it's inspiring young women women of color to run for office to get engaged um, to have tough conversations with their neighbors and their communities, um, and to recognize what our values are, where we stand, to reaffirm um, the policies that we want to see in this country and the kind of country that we want to see. It's giving all of us an opportunity to really think about how we want to prioritize um, in this country and how and what we want America to stand for, for all of us. And so. Taking that and recognizing that we are all right now, every single one of us in a position to do that and to reshape and to uh, to reshape the conversation and this country the way we want to see it, um, and to not be afraid to get involved, right? I think um, because things are in such an emergency state, we have to look past our fear of getting involved. And recognize that we are all overqualified at this mm-hmm. point um, to get involved and have that voice. Um, and that only when we all show up for each other, whether it's cross movement, organizationally, or on the ground um, reaching out to our neighbors, it's only when we all work together that we fight and we win. And I think that kind of message and, and mm-hmm. um, realization as like a North Star helps me and maybe mm-hmm. helps others. Um, I would say, just do it. I mean, I think, you know, we
3: are always looking to build that bench of the next great um, Simone Sanders, the next great Dana Brazils and mm-hmm. and the next great, you know, Kanye Chung like we are looking for that and and they shouldn't be deterred about how hard it is to get into this business cuz it's not hard. You have to find something that you're going to be passionate about and just, fight, you know, do it whether it's women's rights, voting access or or climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to just you know lean in and and take that risk is huge and you shouldn't be deterred um, about any obstacles that you may you may find because there is a support system out there that's going to help you through the process
1: that's key too yeah
2: Mm -hmm. Um, i just did a speech not too long ago for some students in california and at the end of it i told them two things uh, one is when we think about uh well let me say this first this is a long marathon mm-hmm. yeah. not just like a race right mm-hmm. so we're always talking about how every year is super important <laughs> and everything is always urgent but we need to to your point we need to make sure that we're pacing ourselves and 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 not compromising our mental and spiritual health mm-hmm. with what America's got going on because there's a lot going on in America we have to pace ourselves and and recognize that this is a long run not just a short race mm-hmm. what happens after 2020 is census and gerrymandering and we have to also remember that like there's other midterm elections that are happening next year and that we have to remember past that, that governors are signing uh, on to having a constitutional convention. We need to be aware that this is a long game and not mm-hmm. just who's gonna win in November. And then the second thing I told them was, when when I talk about politics, folks often start from a standpoint of um, deficit and what freedom looks like is what we don't have. And I'm challenging folks to think about freedom in terms of what we want it to look like and in an abundance and what is our agenda. And so I'm not saying, well, we need to solve mass incarceration because mass incarceration is a problem. I'm saying, what does it look like to have a world with no prisons? Mm-hmm. What does it look like mm-hmm. to have a world where free Wi-Fi is everywhere? Mm-hmm. What does it look like to have a world where um, yeah. education is free? Not just let's solve student debt, but like, what about free education? And if we don't have a an abundance agenda, if we don't think about freedom as a proactive right, um, uh, uh, frame of reference, then we're going to continue to burn ourselves out with what, what we know we need to fight against yep. and not what we need to fight for. Yeah. And so I, my students were like, I was like, what is freedom to you guys? And they were like, oh, you know, white supremacy, we get rid of white supremacy. And I was like, okay, what is freedom to you guys? And like, oh, no student debt. What is white supremacy? What is freedom? And they're like, oh, we want... Um, we want, uh, access to choose what we're going to do with our own bodies. And I'm like, yeah, those are all the things that we're fighting against that. We don't have, what are the things that we want mm-hmm. and that agenda people, women of color, I think have always been at the forefront of determining what that agenda is, mm-hmm. not just for our own communities, but for this entire planet. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's not lose sight of what that is. Um, so it's a marathon, you know, not a race and digest. Think about sit with and remind yourselves to stay grounded in this work what is freedom to you
1: mm-hmm.
0: i love that oh yeah. that's perfect anisha tiffany emily thank you for joining us and getting our listeners ready for 2020 i appreciate you thank all you having us thank you everyone for coming
2: <laughs> and thanks to our live studio audience <laughs>
0: Thank you to Emily, Tiffany, and Anisha for setting the stage for 2020. Make sure you stay tuned to The BGG on our website, www.thebgguide.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The BGG Guide to find out more on the role women of color are playing in 2020. I hope you've enjoyed this season, Brown Girls. I want to thank all of our Brown Girl and non-Brown Girl listeners for continuing with us on this journey. We started this season with the BGG listeners telling us what they love most about the podcast, and we wanted to end the season with some of your favorite moments.
1: I believe that we all have a, a moral responsibility to pay it forward. What would Fannie
0: Lou Hamer do? What would Shirley Chisholm do? What would Dr. King do? What would anyone in my position do?
2: Our pastor at the time used to say, I can't tell you who to vote for, but I can tell you that this is the person who showed up. Issues of racism cannot simply be issues for Black and brown women. Government
1: works well when it reflects the
2: population it seeks to represent. There's this misconception that to be a donor, you have to give large sums of money when, in fact, most of the donations that drive a lot of these progressive candidates and, and national organizations are these grassroots small dollar donations. I do remember when I started getting to the point where my pros and cons, when I looked at the cons, not reasons not to run, they all fear-based uh, reasons as opposed to the pro side, which were all faith-based reasons. I hate this phrase that says, if you don't vote, you don't count. I mean, I think that's ridiculous to say. I think a human being, the very nature that you are a human being, that in fact you have value, you count. It is not the vote that brings you the value.
0: Thank you, Wonder Media Network, for producing another wonderful season of this podcast. Until next time, Brown Girls.